0: Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable.
1: Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank.
0: Welcome into another edition of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank. I'm going to be sitting on the sideline for this episode as Mike was able to carry the load himself in this episode with his guest coming right up. But before we get to Mike, we always like to lead things off with Ann, Mike's better half. Ann Niemer, eRenewable COO, has a few words for us and will get us started. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. We know today whether you're a public company, private equity, or privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at erenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Welcome to the Green Insider podcast, powered by Renewable. I'm Mike Nehmer, your host today. Today, I'm pleased to announce that we have Mr. Mike Kale, President of U.S. Energy, on. The show is our guest today. Mike, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, yes, sir. Well, i tell you what, you and I, uh, as we were just discussing before the show started, we think our paths probably crossed earlier in our life in energy. But uh, it's nice to actually be talking to you now because I know we've s- shared a similar trail. Tell us a little bit about your journey uh, from when you started in energy to where you're at at U.S. Energy today. Yeah, Mike. Um,
1: so I, I graduated college in 1992 and, and um, you know, didn't really know what I was going to do. I had a degree in math, um, minor in economics and um, nearly a degree in, in computer science. So in 1992 was kind of that start of the computer science world. And I went looking for a job and, and um, I found a job as an operations analyst at a small um, natural gas marketing company. And soon into my career, my, uh, my hiring boss left and uh, immediate supervisor above me uh, left within a year. So I was kind of left to do uh, supply and scheduling for, you know, a decent sized Midwest um, gas marketer. Um, As time went on, um, the thirst for doing more deals, not only just buying, but also selling, um, attracted me into trading and um, I was You know, 1996, I moved to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and started trading for a a utility subsidiary. And then an opportunity came to um, really kind of get my own book and start trading natural gas for a company called Howard Energy Marketing out of Traverse City, Michigan. Um, And that that was a great opportunity. Um, Had had excellent uh, mentors and really, you know, understood risk. Um, and took on you know, a fair amount of both paper and physical and natural gas trading. Um, I managed the Wisconsin office for them and was going great. And then somewhere, I believe in 1999, we were sold um, to uh, Mishcon, which would later be bought by Detroit Edison. And um, you know basically, we were put on hold for that as we were bought out. Um, I stayed in the industry kind of as a, for another year as more or less a consultant, and then an opportunity came to join um, U.S. Oil at the time, and which is now the U.S. Energy division of U.S. Venture. So I came in as a trader of refined products, um, knew nothing about refined products as I, I joined the company, but it was a commodity in the energy space and um, I think there was a thought that that might, you know, might take six or so months, but really the, you know, trading natural gas versus trade refined products was almost the same thing to me. Um, you know, ch- changed the conversions um, from talking about decatherms to, you know, barrels or gallons, depending on the day. And so um, that was, that was kind of interesting, but other than that, you know, f- seeing the markets tight or, or, you know, it's, long product. It was it was kind of very similar. And, and who needs it? Who doesn't need it? You know, very similar uh, marketplaces.
0: Well, you know, uh, two things came out of that conversation that you just gave me. is I think I know where we crossed paths in our past life. In the 90s, when you were at Howard, did you, I used to run Amorex Natural Gas. Did you oh, yeah. use him as a broker? Yeah, Daniel Mayers. Daniel Mayer sat right next to me. So that's where we cross paths inadvertently. Okay. The second, yeah. And the second thing is when you talked about switching to refined fuels, I've always tried to tell people once you know commodities, it's all kind of interchangeable. And I think that's basically what you just said, too, because you just changed from MMBTUs to barrels or gallons. It's interchangeable. The mechanics behind it might be a little different. But the bar charts, when you're tracking everything, the math, it's all the same. And once you know how, you can trade about any product that's out there. Don't you agree?
1: Yeah. And I think understanding the the pipelines, the the tariffs, um, very important natural gas, maybe less important in in um refined products, but very, you know, the timing of the schedules, the all that helps um understand that marketplace. And really that's where I attack the market
0: to make sure i understood the you know from the bottom up so from there how did you end up us energy president of us energy now you're doing cng and renewable natural gas and looking at ev charging stations tell us about what all you guys do at us energy and how that journey's been
1: yeah so it was um in 2010 interestingly enough through a company called breakthrough which we now own. Um, I, so, as a trader, I was not just trading; I was also doing business development and um, interacting with this company called Breakthrough, um, who you know, manages fuel for the largest companies in, in the world. And they had a they had a large um, shipping company that was looking at compressed natural gas in 2010. And you know, having left natural gas, I'm like, oh, I was pretty excited. You, you know, I'm getting back to my roots. Um, but i don't really know much about natural cng you know I, I i knew natural gas and certainly heard of liquid nat- natural gas but uh liquefied natural gas i had not really heard of compressed natural gas so um in as a company that owns quite a few terminals and they're full of diesel fuel we now are sitting in 2010 with you know clean natural gas um, lower priced natural gas and american made you know, so very differentiated that time to where diesel was. And, you know, so we put our first CNG site up in 2012. And then we put up another, you know, 50 or so CNG sites. And then long about 2015, the United States discovered that we had a lot more oil than we thought we did. And uh, with fracking, all of a sudden, you know, American-made oil was, you know, in our backyards, um, was still was much cleaner to have natural gas. But, now that the the expensive part went away, so you know we've seen crude oil drop significantly down, you know down towards forty dollars a barrel, and that differential between CNG and diesel was gone, or nearly gone, and in the cost of the CNG vehicle still was there. So um, the value proposition for CNG versus diesel kind of slowed down. So we actually split our our CNG division off into um, a separate division and a gentleman I had hired to you know, run it um, underneath me, he went with that, and I stayed within the U.S. oil, um, U.S. energy kind of core part, refined products division, and um, started working on renewable natural gas. So that leader of our, our GAIN division, CNG at the time, moved on to one of our other divisions, and uh, John Schmidt, our CEO, asked me to lead gain. And and, uh, so I I did. And I brought over the RNG team that we had built and combined the two CNG and RNG. And, and, um, you know, the RNG looked um, very much like other parts of our business. And it was long dated um, doing, you know, 10 year contracts, 15, 20 year contracts, kind of similar to what we've done on the CNG. And we're matching these long-term offtake agreements with our long-term supply agreements on compressed natural gas. So for us, it fit really well. Um, you know, we've, we've grown that immensely with over 40 RNG sites and we have over 150 CNG sites we dispense to. Um, you know, so that, that market is really taken off. It's a, it's a growing space. It's doing wonderful things for, I believe the environment from landfills to, Wastewater projects to you know dairy farms, and taking that you know lower CI, lower carbon intensity gas, and putting it into uh, vehicles and/or businesses to to use as uh, heating fuel.
0: So, um, do you actually yeah. own the locations with the anaerobic digester and bringing the feedstock into it and processing it and bringing it out as renewable natural gas? Or are you Did just we- buying it after somebody else does that?
1: We have a mix. So, um, you know, the majority of our deals, we we work with um, developers that have developed the landfill or developed the dairy. We, we're just taking the gas at the end of the meter. Um, we do all the, the compliance work. Um, we've got a really strong compliance team and a really strong trading team around that. And so we monetize the credits for the customer. Um, we do have some dairy digesters that we own um, and, and some that we actually co-own with the farmers because it's a it's interesting, you know, We our, our latest customer on that side is they They think, you know, 30, 50 years down the road that manure, you know, for, for history has kind of been a problem for them. Now it's actually a source of money and, and versus not just milk, you know, not just the, the, the um, crops, but actually this turning manure into money. And they're excited about the future for the, not only themselves, but really their grandkids or their kids and grandkids to come.
0: Well, earlier you talked about uh, the landfills that you're getting as feedstocks for some of these uh, projects. Are you finding, that? are you talking landfills from, or uh, you know, waste and landfills from commercial industrial type customers? Or are you talking about counties and municipalities or states where you're acquiring the landfill or getting the rights to the landfill there and then developing those?
1: Yeah, so interestingly, so I generally would say the municipalities, um, you know, large companies like WM um, that that own those sites, they own the, they may own the gas rights. Um, they're developing those projects, and and we're taking, we're working with them to take that gas to our CNG stations. However, I think the biggest growth to come is going to be industrial sites, not so much necessarily in landfills, but in probably digesters or, or something that looks a lot like that, where we're taking the waste from a food site or, or a you know, food producer, and either keeping that potentially in a full circle where their waste is generating gas, which may make electricity for them or may go to be make renewable natural gas to fuel their trucks that are gonna ship their goods across um, across the country.
0: Well, you know, uh, I've had done several shows on renewable natural gas, and we've done some work not only in renewable natural gas, but also responsibly sourced gas in the industry. We've done that in the last couple of years, too, here. But with regards to renewable natural gas, uh, it's hard for the listeners to understand all this talk that all of us have on renewable natural gas, when the average Plant size in the United States only produces 600, to 800 and to 900 MMBTUs a day. It's a small volume, but yet the price is very large compared to traditional get natural gas. How do you try to explain uh, why RNG and the CI score and everything in the price? Why is that important that that is included in a municipality's mix? or a corporations mix with regards to the products they're using in the energy transition.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, th- there's actually two ways to look at it. When it goes in the transportation fuel, renewable natural gas would be the Cadillac because you're getting a cleaner fuel than just, you know, regular compressed natural gas. And it actually will be cheaper for the shipper to use. Um, you know, an example, not not probably real life right now, but Not long ago uh, in California, where they have a a robust low carbon fuel standard program, we would have been selling renewable natural gas into a a semi at about a dollar a gallon, where compressed natural gas would have been at two dollars a gallon. And that, you know, that's a conundrum. Why why is the Cadillac cheaper than, you know, the Chevy in, in this case? And it's because we need more users of, of, renewable natural gas or, or even compressed natural gas. So to incentivize them, we share the credits with them. So there's a low carbon fuel standard credit from California, Oregon and Washington also have a similar program. And then across the country, there's the RFS, the renewable fuel standard, which you develop or, or generate a RIN and we share part of that RIN with the shipper as well. So that lowers the cost of fuel and transportation. The, likewise, if that same product was to go in, in someone's boiler and, and heat their building for process or for process or for heating the building, the, the producer of the renewable natural gas is foregoing a RIN or foregoing a low carbon fuel standard. And, you know, they're making a choice to not take it in transportation. They want to get paid for that. So that's where the choice becomes is, is this product going into transportation where it's this high high value or a trade-off could be that it goes into a utility or you know process heat type atmosphere for someone's low carbon um, goals, they have that trade-off. And and you're looking at there's potentially a very long-term deal on, on for a utility for or for a customer that's concerned about their emissions. So you might, you know, there's a compromise. Are you willing to sell gas at $20 an MMBTU for 10, 15, 20 years as a producer? Or do you really want to go after that $30, $40 even in the near term that the RINs provide you? But that's only usually a one-year look. So you know, you're lucky if you might be able to get two years out of that. And then, you know, we've seen RINs be volatile. Um, C RINs or cellulosic RINs have gone from as high as nearly $4 a RIN to as low as under $0.50 cents a RIN. So, um, and and you kind of take those roughly times 12 and that'll translate into an MMBTU. So, you know, we've seen RINs at around $6 an MMBTU and as high as nearly $50 a RIN or MMBTU. So, you know, do you want to trade $20 for a nice steady flow um, or look at the home run for $50? Each producer, yeah. you know, and, and the banks are financing this. they love the steady $20. So um, it's, it's kind of, you got to look at that and say, okay, well, as a producer, you know, you, you might want to put some, some chips out into the RIN market to try to hit a big, but you also need to secure financing. So you're willing to take, you know, maybe half of your production and put it out for um. An RFP and, and sell it as a fixed price. And that's something that we provide on both sides. I mean, we buy fixed price gas um, and we turn around and sell it to those that, you know, such utilities and um, consumers that are looking for that product.
0: Well, uh, I see a lot of these uh, renewable natural gas deals being done uh, when they're being done to commercial industrial accounts. I see most of them being talked about being five and 10 years long. Uh, would you say that's kind of the norm, one of those two numbers or more shorter or more longer? What are you seeing?
1: Um, definitely, you know, I think when we first started this, five was, was a norm. I would say 10 is definitely the norm now and, and probably going to 20. So, you know, there, there's some 10, there's some 12, there's 15s and 20s, but, you know, there aren't many fives anymore.
0: Well, so it's going the way of the the power purchasing agreements and a solar field or wind farm for the 10 to 20 year deal, right?
1: Yeah. And you're really looking at a financing of the project. So banks, you know, banks loaning money. um, they, They want to see that, you know, great that it's $50 this year. What is it next year? Well, you can't tell them. So they're willing to trade it off for, you know, $15 to $25, depending on, you know, what kind of product it is and where it is that, you know, depends on, uh, there, there are some geographical and, and types of production that do matter in a type of price that
0: you're going to get. You know, we've also discussed here today about the uh, carbon intensity score. Um, you know, a, a landfill has what? A plus 25 carbon intensity somewhere around that. Am I remembering that?
1: Yeah, correct? I mean, 25 to 50 would generally be the most landfills.
0: Okay. And so that's kind of the higher end of it, if I recall. Correct. But the lower end goes into negative two or three, 400, something like that, isn't it? What is that? What's the, yeah. what's the, uh, by being a higher for the listeners out there, the higher the carbon intensity score, the cheaper the product is to buy versus the lower intensity score, it's more expensive to buy. Is that correct, Mike? Gen-
1: generally, very true. Um, so lower scores are going to be your, your dairy or your swine projects that, you know, a, a typical dairy is going to be, you know, between minus 200 and minus 300. Um, think of solar as zero. You know, diesel is 99. So th- think of you know zero for solar. You're you have avoided emissions in in dairy and swine that otherwise that methane would be going straight into the air. Methane, you know, depending on what study you read, you know, is, is around 28 times more potent than than CO2 in the atmosphere. So um, trying to avoid those emissions going directly from a lagoon straight into the atmosphere is where that value comes in and, and is created by essentially a low carbon fuel standard. Um, if, they, if they both went into just RFS, they, they have the same value. Um, unless they're going into you know, someone's process where they're valuing that carbon, then there's going to be, you know, they're obviously going to value the lower carbon intensity than they would the higher one. But the, the biggest value comes from, you know, dispensing in California, Oregon, and Washington that have these programs that are rewarding you for
0: having a low CI. Gotcha. Well, it, that's all good information, and it's always good <laughs> to hear uh, different people's views of the same topics that we've talked about in the past, so it's been terrific. Tell me, uh, I know you guys are working with some uh EV charging is kind of another thing for you guys that you're working on now, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as, as a leader of this group, um, having been in both the refined product side and, and the renewable side, I was um, about five years ago sitting down and looking at it and like, you know, what do we have as a company? We were pretty big in ethanol and, and biodiesel and a little bit in renewable diesel at the time. Um, now we got Cng and Rng you know wh- what was left and so hydrogen and, and and battery you know electric vehicles was kind of a, a blank for us so um, set out with path to really look at what role can we play in hydrogen and know we've we've forging that out though there's not a lot of demand today in hydrogen um you know we're working with several customers in that field but then obviously you know electric is is really taking off so um, we had to find our place there and while we love commodities. Um, you know, we're when you look at chargers themselves, they become a commodity, and it's not something that we thought there was something that really made us as a value proposition stand out. So, you know, we looked at it, and, and we've got some um, interesting takes, and we, we we did some customer studies, and we came back, and um, our teams led that and said here's where here's a spot we can play and it's really in in solving infrastructure problems so you know today you go order 10 electric semis and they show up and you go to charge them you're not going to have the capacity you're not going to have the you might have the amperage but you're not going to have enough electricity behind that to be able to charge them so and you go call the utility and you may be looking at a year and a half to three years before they have the infrastructure for you um, and now compound that times, you know, how many more companies are going to go do this in your industrial park. So um, if you're not first, you may, be, you may be longer than that. So our team came up with a, a product called VoltVault, um, which is a, a generator in a box. And um, we're able to charge, you know, a, a semi in 30 minutes with a 185 kW um, fed off either natural gas or compressed natural gas. That we can also supply renewable natural gas to so you know as, as somebody's looking at their emissions and wants to lower their emissions at a cost competitive um grid type price we can deliver to them where they can now charge their vehicles where they wouldn't have been able to without um this infrastructure volt volt
0: well they're saying bolt, volt vault. volt volt, volt. yeah volt. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, on that note as Bolt, I think I don't have any more questions. I have had enjoyed this half hour that we spent together and uh, yeah. it's flown by, Mike. Is there anything um, else you'd like to tell us about uh, U.S. Energy or plans of the future or anything like that?
1: No, I mean, I think, you know, we're really excited about bringing, um, so we brought U.S. Gain and U.S. Oil together to form U.S. Energy. Um, we've kind of got our traditional refined product side and our alternative fuels. And, you know, what we feel is like, we can be fuel agnostic. We can have a polyfuel approach. And, you know, whether the customer, cause customers aren't gonna do away with diesel. They're not gonna do away with gasoline and, and those traditional fuels. But how can we help them? It's, to me, I look at it as not as either or, it's an and. And so, and we can bring you renewable diesel and we can bring you renewable natural gas and we can bring you a solution for your electric charging.
0: Well, with that said, everybody, that's Mike Kale, president of US Energy, joining us today on the Green Insider Powered Bay Renewable. Mike, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Mike. I enjoyed it.